Section 14 of An Inquiry Concerning the Principles of Morals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Inquiry Concerning the Principles of Morals by David Hume. Section 9. Conclusion. Part 2. Having explained the moral approbation attending merit or virtue, there remains nothing but briefly to consider our interested obligation to it, and to inquire whether every man who has any regard to his own happiness and welfare will not best find his account in the practice of every moral duty. If this can be clearly ascertained from the foregoing theory, we shall have the satisfaction to reflect that we have advanced principles which not only, it is hoped, will stand the test of reasoning and inquiry, but may contribute to the amendment of men's lives and their improvement in morality and social virtue. And though the philosophical truth of any proposition by no means depends on its tendency to promote the interests of society, yet a man has but a bad grace who delivers a theory, however true, which, he must confess, leads to a practice dangerous and pernicious. Why rake into those corners of nature which spread a nuisance all around? Why dig up the pestilence from the pit in which it is buried? The ingenuity of your researches may be admired, but your systems will be detested, and mankind will agree, if they cannot refute them, to sink them at least in eternal silence and oblivion. Truths which are pernicious to society, if any such there be, will yield to errors which are salutary and advantageous. But what philosophical truths can be more advantageous to society than those here delivered, which represent virtue in all her genuine and most engaging charms, and makes us approach her with ease, familiarity, and affection? The dismal dress falls off with which many divines and some philosophers have covered her, and nothing appears but gentleness, humanity, beneficence, affability, nay, even at proper intervals, play, frolic, and gaiety. She talks not of useless austerities and rigours, suffering and self-denial. She declares that her sole purpose is to make her votaries and all mankind, during every instant of their existence, if possible, cheerful and happy nor does she ever willingly part with any pleasure but in hopes of ample compensation in some other period of their lives. The sole trouble which she demands is that of just calculation and a steady preference of the greater happiness, and if any austere pretenders approach her, enemies to joy and pleasure, she either rejects them as hypocrites and deceivers, or, if she admit them in her train, they are ranked, however, among the least favoured of her votaries. And indeed, to drop all figurative expression, what hopes can we ever have of engaging mankind to a practice which we confess full of austerity and rigour? Or what theory of morals can ever serve any useful purpose, unless it can show by a particular detail that all the duties which it recommends are also the true interest of each individual? The peculiar advantage of the foregoing system seems to be 
that it furnishes proper mediums for that purpose that the virtues which are immediately useful or agreeable to the person possessed of them are desirable in a view to self-interest it would surely be superfluous to prove moralists indeed may spare themselves all the pains which they often take in recommending these duties to what purpose collect arguments to evince that temperance is advantageous and the excesses of pleasure hurtful when it appears that these excesses are only denominated such because they are hurtful and that if the unlimited use of strong liquors for instance no more impaired health or the faculties of mind and body than the use of air or water it would not be a whit more vicious or blamable it seems equally superfluous to prove that the companionable virtues of good manners and wit decency and genteelness are more desirable than the contrary qualities vanity alone without any other consideration is a sufficient motive to make us wish for the possession of these accomplishments no man was ever willingly deficient in this particular all our failures here proceed from bad education want of capacity or a perverse and unpliable disposition would you have your company coveted admired followed rather than hated despised avoided can any one seriously deliberate in the case as no enjoyment is sincere without some reference to company and society so no society can be agreeable or even tolerable where a man feels his presence unwelcome and discovers all around him symptoms of disgust and aversion but why in the greater society or confederacy of mankind should not the case be the same as in particular clubs and companies why is it more doubtful that the enlarged virtues of humanity generosity beneficence are desirable with a view of happiness and self-interest than the limited endowments of ingenuity and politeness are we apprehensive lest those social affections interfere in a greater and more immediate degree than any other pursuits with private utility and cannot be gratified without some important sacrifice of honour and advantage if so we are but ill instructed in the nature of the human passions and are more influenced by verbal distinctions than by real differences whatever contradiction may vulgarly be supposed between the selfish and social sentiments or dispositions they are really no more opposite than selfish and ambitious selfish and revengeful selfish and vain it is requisite that there be an original propensity of some kind in order to be a basis to self-love by giving a relish to the objects of its pursuit and none more fit for this purpose than benevolence or humanity the goods of fortune are spent in one gratification or another the miser who accumulates his annual income and lends it out at interest has really spent it in the gratification of his avarice and it would be difficult to show why a man is more a loser by a generous action than by any other method of expense since the utmost which he can attain by the most elaborate selfishness is the indulgence of some affection now if life without passion must be altogether insipid and tiresome let a man suppose that he has full power of modelling his own disposition 
and let him deliberate what appetite or desire he would choose for the foundation of his happiness and enjoyment every affection he would observe when gratified by success gives a satisfaction proportioned to its force and violence but besides this advantage common to all the immediate feeling of benevolence and friendship humanity and kindness is sweet smooth tender and agreeable independent of all fortune and accidents these virtues are besides attended with a pleasing consciousness or remembrance and keep us in humour with ourselves as well as others while we retain the agreeable reflection of having done our part towards mankind and society and though all men show a jealousy of our success in the pursuits of avarice and ambition yet are we almost sure of their good-will and good-wishes so long as we persevere in the paths of virtue and employ ourselves in the execution of generous plans and purposes what other passion is there where we shall find so many advantages united an agreeable sentiment a pleasing consciousness a good reputation but of these truths we may observe men are of themselves pretty much convinced nor are they deficient in their duty to society because they would not wish to be generous friendly and humane but because they do not feel themselves such treating vice with the greatest candour and making it all possible concessions we must acknowledge that there is not in any instance the smallest pretext for giving it the preference above virtue with a view to self-interest except perhaps in the case of justice where a man taking things in a certain light may often seem to be a loser by his integrity and though it is allowed that without a regard to property no society could subsist yet according to the imperfect way in which human affairs are conducted a sensible knave in particular incidents may think that an act of iniquity or infidelity will make a considerable addition to his fortune without causing any considerable breach in the social union and confederacy that honesty is the best policy may be a good general rule but is liable to many exceptions and he it may perhaps be thought conducts himself with most wisdom who observes the general rule and takes advantage of all the exceptions i must confess that if a man think that this reasoning much requires an answer it would be a little difficult to find any which will to him appear satisfactory and convincing if his heart rebel not against such pernicious maxims if he feel no reluctance to the thoughts of villainy or baseness he has indeed lost a considerable motive to virtue and we may expect that this practice will be answerable to his speculation but in all ingenuous natures the antipathy to treachery and roguery is too strong to be counterbalanced by any views of profit or pecuniary advantage inward peace of mind consciousness of integrity a satisfactory review of our own conduct these are circumstances very requisite to happiness and will be cherished and cultivated by every honest man who feels the importance of them such a one has besides the frequent satisfaction of seeing knaves with all their pretended cunning and abilities betrayed by their own maxims 
and while they purpose to cheat with moderation and secrecy a tempting incident occurs nature is frail and they give in to the snare whence they can never extricate themselves without a total loss of reputation and the forfeiture of all future trust and confidence with mankind but were they ever so secret and successful the honest man if he has any tincture of philosophy or even common observation and reflection will discover that they themselves are in the end the greatest dupes and have sacrificed the invaluable enjoyment of a character with themselves at least for the acquisition of worthless toys and gewgaws how little is requisite to supply the necessities of nature and in a view to pleasure what comparison between the unbought satisfaction of conversation society study even health and the common beauties of nature but above all the peaceful reflection on one's own conduct what comparison i say between these and the feverish empty amusements of luxury and expense these natural pleasures indeed are really without price both because they are below all price in their attainment and above it in their enjoyment end of section fourteen